Joshua Iverson. I am the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined as always by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, we just talked last week. What's <laughs> what's what's this about? <laughs> There's too much going on, Josh. We got to do this more often. <laughs> right, right. We've we've essentially decided for the time being we gotta switch to a weekly format because we think the couple hours we went last week kind of pushing it. Uh, it seems like the off season's picking up. We'll we'll get into that a little bit. Discuss why that might be happening. Um, but with just the news, we need we need to record more often to keep up with it and to keep episodes a little bit more realistic, more reasonable for us and for all of you listeners. So, with that being said, we have a lot to talk about. Even though it's only been it's been less than a week of news, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, still plenty to talk about. Some trades, a whole bunch of signings, a whole bunch of activities. Let's just jump right into it. Um, let's. I think we should start out here with the elephant in the room, sort of, which is the biggest trade of this last week. It's the Joe Musgrove deal. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get into it, uh, just a side note: is there are there two teams with mascots that are like more opposite than the Padres and the Pirates? Like, <laughs> mm. it, it it seems like an upgrade to go from from swashbuckler like criminal. <laughs> to okay now now you're a priest now you're a father (laughs) yeah yeah you're right from a mascot point of view but from sort of a team competitive competitive also that (laughs) you probably want to switch those at the moment you know (laughs) yes um that aside um the joe musgrove trade was a flat-out rejection from our model um Mm -hmm. and uh, let's get into the specifics of the trade. It was Musgrove to the Padres, and we had his value at $36.2 million. Uh, to the Pirates, they ended up getting five prospects. Outfielder Hudson Head, who we had at 6-3. Catcher Andy Rodriguez, who came from the Mets, who we had at 2.4. Lefty Omar Cruz, 0.7. And a couple right-handed pitchers, David Bednar, 0.3, and Drake Fellows, 0.1. And then the Mets snuck into the deal here, picked up lefty Joey Lucchese from the Padres, who we have at 5.8. So, a lot of moving parts here, and in total here, Musgrove, as we mentioned, $36.2 million in value. The Pirates' return we had at 9.8, so that is a huge void, and yep. <clears throat> we've, we've double-checked Musgrove's value, and there isn't really anything that looked out of line. It's just, we, the way he projects by both Steamer and Ziffs is to be about a three-win starting pitcher. He's young, he's affordable, he's in his prime. There's maybe a little injury concern, but nothing that's yeah. over the moon, tank his value, cut it into a third, basically. And in fact, we discounted for that a little bit. Right. Um, so, yeah. So first of all, let's say right up front. When when we're wrong, we're going to admit it. We own it absolutely, right. and we'll take we'll take a good look and say, okay, what happened here? So you know, um, no no problem on that because we want to be upfront about everything. Um, so here's what I think, um, and I've talked to um, a front office contact about this a little bit, um, who said something very interesting to me a couple of months ago, which is the market has moved to sort of anticipating kind of the next wave and so in other words everything is priced already fairly with free agents with top prospects everybody knows how they are so everyone's looking for like okay can i get a deal on like somebody who's going to be a top prospect and where i'm going with this is hudson head the key to the different deal i think is hudson head and we were too low on him in other words pittsburgh is thinking he's and i saw a comment on twitter about this as did you that you know he's got high upside and he may be one of those guys where 
you know, in, in time, he's going to be ranked as a 50 or a 55, which would um, put his, his value up quite a bit. I don't think there's anything wrong with Musk, Musgrove's value at all. I had a, I had took three more looks at it, and it would throw off the entire model and all the other sort of fair deals we've seen, both in free agency and trades. So I don't think the problem is Musgrove. I think the problem is head, and we were too way too low on him. Um, and and judging from sort of the comments I've seen, and we've talked about his upside, um, you know, I think that's it. So the market is skewing more towards okay, if there, you know. Okay, this is part and parcel with what we're seeing in the marketplace in general, which is um, the flip side of guys who are in big contracts are hard to move, which makes prospects and younger players more expensive because everybody wants productivity on the cheap. Mm -hmm. And so what's happening is the market is shifting towards younger and cheaper is better. So, and that's, and you saw this, in, and that's skewing down with prospects to, you know, everyone's holding on to their prospects. So the Angels didn't want to trade Brandon Marsh, I assume, for Musgrove, even though their their values were similar because he's one of their top prospects. So then you got to go, okay, all right, who's, you know, you could patch together some lower guys, which is kind of what uh, Pittsburgh was going for here. They're going for quantity. But they're also anticipating improvement and upside and basically gambling on the upside, upside of Hudson Head. So long story short, if he's a close to a 45 right now, let's say on the 2080 scale, he was bumped up to a 50, which happens quite often when we see trades, you know, being analyzed and say, oh yeah, he's probably a 50. Like now you tell us, right? That would bump <laughs> him up to 22. And then sometimes they go even higher than that. So um, my long story short is what I think Pittsburgh is gambling on is that Hudson Head's upside you know, will mean he, his, his value will appreciate in time. They're just jumping the gun on it now. They're getting him cheap now. Now, that's a long story short to say, yeah, you squint and maybe you can see it. Maybe you can see a little bit of improvement with Andy Rodriguez now. But the market is sort of, interestingly, you saw this with the Darvish trade as well. It's skewing more on sort of younger guys with upside. It, mm -hmm. it occurred to me that um, with the blossoming of Fernando Tatis, you know, he was traded for when he was 17, right? And everybody wants the next Tatis, so they're throwing out you know, lottery tickets this way and that way, thinking maybe we can get another one of those guys. That's the only thing I can figure because, you know, you look at the other guys in the return. It's not Bednar. He's a reliever. It's not, um, you know, who's the other, the guy that was 0.1? Drake Fellows. Fellows. <laughs> he wasn't on anybody's prospects list. He was a deep, you know, sixth rounder or something. Um, it's probably, there's probably not much upside there. Um, you can see some with Andy Rodriguez. It's, um, who am I forgetting? Um, uh, Omar Cruz. Omar Cruz, you can see a little bit there. So in other words, if you project and you say, okay, Cruz may develop into, you know, a, a two or three value a little bit, with not, it's not hard to do. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe Indy Rodriguez, you know, um, you can see maybe he's a five or a six because they traded him for Lucchese was around there. So that's going to move the needle a little bit, but it's really head because the other thing about prospects is they follow kind of a, a logarithmic model, a power law distribution model, where the, the top prospects have really high values, the bottom ones have really low, and the jumps are significant. So the jump from a 45, which is around 8 or 9, to a 50 is around 22. That's a 14%. That's a 14-point jump. So if you think he's a 50 and some of these other guys think he's a 40, that, that's that's a big difference. So to me, that's the whole key to the deal, is they really like Hudson Head's upside, and they think he's going to blossom. And, you know, I was just reading... Um, BP had uh, 
<clears throat> a report on him that said, yeah, we, you know, he's got big upside and big tools. He's still raw. He's still a kid, you know. So if they, um, you know, they could see him being a top 100 prospect. Keith Law said he, he could be a top 100 prospect. So there you go. The wheels are already starting to turn, and now it's, we find out that he's probably going to be higher rated than we thought. So to me, that's the whole key to the deal. Right, right. And that does, as you mentioned, that covers some of the gap there. Right. It doesn't necessarily cover all of it. And I think I'm still comfortable saying that even if Pittsburgh is fully confident, Hudson Head is a 50, maybe if if they even think he could be more down the line, I don't know. I think even if Pittsburgh is that confident, even if the industry decides, okay, he's a 50, I still think they could have gotten more here. I still think that they didn't necessarily do as well as they could have. Maybe they got their guys, but the market rate for Musgrove should have been a little bit higher. We think and our model agrees like maybe they, maybe, and this is something we both discussed and uh, we tweeted out as well, that maybe teams weren't biting on that next level up of guys. So you mentioned everybody's looking for the Hudson head, the Fernando Tatis, whatever the young prospect that's going to blossom into a top 25 guy. Um, So maybe teams, weren't willing to give up guys in that top 50 to top 25 range. You know, the angels with a guy like Brandon Marsh. Um, He's, we have him at 37.5. So he's a little bit higher than Musgrove, but guys in that territory kind of Uh, maybe teams are now because, because for a few years now, teams have been okay. The Glaber Torres types, they're not going anywhere. You know, those consensus top 10 guys. I think the last trades we saw of those type guys were Torres Addison Russell with the A's way back when yeah. that day, those days are pretty much gone. The uh, Yoan Moncada for Chris Sale. Yeah. Those days are pretty much gone. That's yeah. why the Padres haven't traded a Mackenzie Gore in any of these crazy deals that they've been doing. Right. Right. Um, and now I think teams are starting to shift into that next territory where it's like, wait, but our, our top 50 type guy, he's also super valuable. We're hanging on to him with the way that finances exactly. and everything are trending right now. However, I still think that (laughs) so a little bit of that upside is already baked into the prospect valuations wherever they are. So if if I'm trying to explain this here, so (laughs) Hudson Head, if he's originally marked as a 45 or something, that is with some possibility in mind, granted, maybe a higher or lower possibility, but some possibility in mind that he does blossom into more than that. And so maybe let's let's even upgrade him to a 50 which i don't think is necessarily likely from all sources i already saw that eric longenhagen is a little bit colder on him than most mm-hmm. have been um, he mm-hmm. said he saw him during the fall and wasn't as impressed mm-hmm. uh, but let's even let's even give him the 50 there even if you think even if the pirates look at him and say we think he's a 55 or something crazy like that to the market he's still a 50 Mm-hmm. And he's still got that 22-ish value, even if your personal internal metrics say, oh, we think he's worth 35 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you should still be trying to get market value in the trade. Yes. And if just because you're high on the guy, maybe that means, okay, the other team sees him as a 22. We see him as a 30. We can get an extra eight in prospect value there <laughs> if if the other team truly sees him as a 22 and that they would need to throw in more to make this deal work. Um, I don't know if I explained that well. But... No, I think you're right because they, yeah. It, it, so it's on Pittsburgh to say, yeah, we might've liked Hudson head, but we might've gotten more value from another team. It's, Let's... it's vaguely reminiscent of the Josh Donaldson trade. 
yeah. uh, going to the Blue Jays. Obviously, we weren't around back then, but I think we would have had that as a massive, massive underpay for the Blue Jays. Yeah, um, I, and what yeah. happened there, according to reports, were that the A's just got enamored with Sean Nolan and Kendall Graveman and Franklin Barreto and Brett Laurie, the four pieces there. The A's loved each of these guys, especially Sean Nolan. He was a big Billy Bean guy. And, okay, that's great. You got the guys that you want that you think are going to turn into bigger than other teams think, but you can get more out of that because the other team doesn't think he's worth much at all. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so then, you know, it becomes, you know, I will say our model assumes two things. One, that every GM is rational. In other words, they're going to take the best deal possible. And number two, that they all more or less follow a similar valuation model. Number one, I think, is mostly true. There may not, but to your point, you may get an occasional Billy Bean. Oh, I love this guy, so I'm just going to do the trade. Number two is, yeah, I think most of them follow the same model. Before we started the site, we did a little research, and you know, Scott Boris said some things. They're all following mm -hmm. the same model, and you know, okay. So there's a general sort of point of view that most of them are, but not all of them. And maybe you know, there's some variations there, and I've heard from sources that you know ours is slightly different than theirs, and this team's is slightly different than that team's. Okay, fine. They've all got their internal ones. They may not always match up, and so either Pittsburgh's model is not quite the same as everybody else's, which is possible, or they just really fell in love with Hudson Head. Right, right. A um, couple other names in there that at least have some interest to them. Andy Rodriguez, he's getting a little bit of helium, not nearly as much as Hudson Head right now, but yeah. interesting catching prospect. He uh, has played other positions as well. Um, also a younger guy. So he, he came from the Mets. And the Mets side of this swap was Lucchese at 5.8 for Rodriguez at 2.4. You yeah. figure Rodriguez is probably a little low. Uh, we're yeah. probably a little behind on him as far as prospect valuations go. We might see a bit of a bump there. And even if we don't, that's still within reason. And Joey Lucchese is a particularly difficult <laughs> difficult pitcher to value given kind of his his injury history, his up and down, kind of, yeah. is he going to start? Is he going to relieve? Do we, do the Padres actually like the guy? What's going on here? Yeah. Um, but the, it's clear there's some talent there. There's some upside. He'll be useful for the Mets in kind of a fifth starter swingman type role. I think, um, what, yeah, yeah I was just, sorry. I was just going to say what, I think what happened to him is, you know, there's kind of a sophomore slump effect quite often. You see a guy have a really good year and you think, wow, he's really good. And then the next year he collapses and, you know, it's, it's because it's a game of adjustments, right? Pitchers, you know, he only, he has kind of an unusual delivery and he only has one or two, pit, maybe two pitches that are mm -hmm. decent. Hitters probably figured him out <clears throat> in that second year and you saw his numbers tech. And so now the Padres said, well, uh, he's getting hit a lot. And so they kind of backed off of him. Um, and the Mets are saying, yeah, he's a, he's a depth guy. He's a swing man. So I think the, consensus is starting to develop on him like he's he's not as good as that one good year he had you know because they adjusted mm -hmm. to him yeah you know saris had a really good tweet the other day as this trade was going down basically just said lucchese is always ranked in the bottom 10 of command and stuff so i assume it's all deception deception yeah yeah that's he's got that crazy that's all egg. he really is yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> which which most guys like that become relievers so mm -hmm. he may end up in the pen you know permanently at some point right yeah but to your point uh, well, about Indy Rodriguez, yeah, we're probably, I mean, assuming that our, we're reasonably close on Lucchese, and he is hard to model, mm -hmm. you know, then we're probably low on, on Rodriguez. And, we, and he's definitely one of these guys I can see, oh, a month later, oh, he was bumped, right. bumped up by the guys that we follow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Um, one other name I want to point out here, David Bednar. Um, kind of just seems like a average reliever, but there were reports that he worked with Hideo Nomo <laughs> with the Padres mm. and might have learned Nomo's splitter. So that could make him quite yep. interesting. Um, again, he's the fourth or fifth piece on this deal, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, if you're trading a Joe Musgrove, you you shouldn't have your <laughs> hopes resting, and, and the Pirates aren't, let me be clear, but you shouldn't have your hopes resting on, hey, maybe this reliever will develop a splitter and be really good. <laughs> yeah. But if he does, and if he is, then that's another valuable piece that the Pirates can either, he, he's got plenty of team control, he can be a part of the next good Pirates team, or they can flip him down the line and kind of uh, reap more benefits from this trade. So yeah, not a bad not a bad buy low option right there. Yeah. So, I mean, look, the pirates, pirates definitely need quantity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can, I can see it from a sort of a strategic point of view saying we're not going to trade and, and make no mistake. Musgrove was their best trade chip, which is another issue entirely. But, you know, from their point of view, they're not going to trade their best, you know, trade chip for just one guy. They're probably, cause they, they need more help than that. So they probably are going to spread their bets around. And so you could make a case that all of these were like, yeah, maybe they saw them a little higher than we did or than the market did. And maybe they're hopeful that one of them probably had blossoms into something. And then they're in maybe a couple others, you know, blossom as well. So, you know, it's you can squint and you can see it. But, you know, to your earlier point, they probably could have done a lot better. I mean, right. It is kind of baffling now. Right. This is just such a wide gap. Yeah. So every now and then. You know, to be honest, we get one of these that just throws throws mm-hmm. us in like what? <laughs> and, um, you know, and it makes us sort of question, is our model wrong? And then we see mon- many, many other deals that say, no, I don't think it's the model. I think this is anomaly. And so I, I think what we're going to see here is the same thing. So just for some perspective, overall, since, Oct- since August of to- uh, 2019, there have been 125 trades that we've logged and we have all the receipts and we've been accepted on 119 of those for for a rate of 95.2 percent average margin of error is 1.7 including these so right that's i don't i'm not i'm not going to touch the model until i know for sure that yeah. there's something wrong and i don't think there is yeah even if even if the model was 100 percent perfect which we are obviously not claiming it to be we're working yeah. with the best that we have we know there's a lot of room for error here, all that kind of stuff. But even yeah. if it were 100% perfect, you would still see stuff like this occasionally because yeah. it's it's not a perfect system. It's it's a whole bunch of people, each with their own ideas of how things work, and there's so many variables, and some guys like this guy better, and on and on and on. That and it, and it's an ever-changing market, and all of these factors that even if even if we had every value correct, we'd still have a few stinkers. And ideally, yeah. we get them a little closer than this. Maybe and that's kind of what we're pushing for. We're pushing for keeping that. We want to increase that 95% number as much as we can. And when we miss, we want it to be by less. <laughs> but these are inevitable, just given with what we're working. Yeah, with. and whenever we miss, we take a good look and say, hey, is there something mm-hmm. we need to change here? So one of the things, you know, this is why I come, keep coming back to the Hudson Head thing is because we're dependent on. You know, one of the sort of audacious things that we're doing with this whole site is we're basing it all in publicly available information. We don't have the private stuff that the teams have. We don't have access to that. And they've got a whole bunch of proprietary data, track man data, inside information, you know, teams of R&D people. We're just a couple of guys trying to mimic what they're doing with public data. And so that only gets, you know, to, 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 to get as far as we can, I think, with what we have. So, um so I think that's always good. We're always going to be 
chasing that a little bit and a little step behind. So it doesn't necessarily mean the model is wrong. It just sometimes means that there's a time lag in the information that we actually get because they have it before we do. And I think that's probably the case here. Right. And we aren't coming from this stance of we built this model. We trust it completely. It's 100% correct. And now with this model, what we want to do is judge teams and say, oh, the pirates made a horrible trade here objectively because that's what our model says. That's not where we're coming from at all. Yeah. The, the model itself was sort of reverse engineered from real life yeah, trades and it continues to was. be tweaked. Yeah. Right. It continues to be tweaked based on the results of real life trades. We're trying to emulate the market as best we can. Exactly. And so we're always going to fall back on, okay, what the market said was fair is probably fair. I, there's some wiggle room there. There are trades that are that go down that people aren't a fan of at the time and they're correct in <laughs> they are correct in that opinion. For example, the Pirates Chris Archer trade. That's yep. something that everyone kind of said. Uh, are you guys sure about this? <laughs> and, so, <laughs> right. and so the market isn't perfect. It's not always going to be consistent. Values aren't always going to line up even even within the market. Uh, yep. But we're just trying to emulate the most the most commonly accepted. I guess <laughs> we're trying to trying to shoot for that middle range, and there's exactly. always going to be outliers on both ends. So we're trying to shoot for accuracy in the aggregate sense mm -hmm. we're not going to be you can't force fit too much on one particular trade because then it would throw off some other ones so you have to kind of split the difference and say as a whole generally this guy is worth this and this guy is worth that and uh, look at it in aggregate sense i mean one of the questions we get a lot is can you anticipate you know can you do a lot of sort of well this team would pay more than that team and yeah we can't anticipate the destination. We can't mm -hmm. anticipate that the Yankees are going to pay more than the Indians or whoever. You know, we just know that you know a team has what they have, and we have a general sense of the market. And maybe that team has less leverage, like the Cubs, for example, with Darvish. Maybe they had less leverage because they're trying to cut costs. And so um, we can we can anticipate that a little bit. And you know, maybe we can say, uh, you know, from a positional standpoint there's too many second basemen on the market that are free agents that are cheaper than what you're going to trade so that's going to mm -hmm. knock down the value of of trade candidates like uh you know adam frazier so we can do that right <clears throat> um right. but we're not going to necessarily go team by team that gets into much more sort of sophisticated sort of things that i don't know we can predict my larger point is at the end of the day it's a barter system right <clears throat> it's you know because you know the free agent system is largely an auction model right the highest bidder wins the day uh, in the trade market, you're basically going back to, you know, I'll trade you these two goats for a cow. And, okay, what kind of cow? And, you know, everybody's got, you know, it's an inefficient market because barter, barter systems are always inefficient. But our point of view is over time, barter systems tend to sort of, in the aggregate, get more and more efficient. And that's what ultimately you get to, like cattle futures on the Chicago Board of Trade, you know, because it becomes commoditized, right? So I think the market is going that way. It's starting to become a little bit more uniform, but it's still not there yet, and it's still not yeah. completely uniform. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Um, to, to one of the points you made there um, about some of the factors that we can't really take into account, things like that, things like positional fit on a specific team, things like how bad a specific team either wants to keep a player or wants to trade for a player, how badly they need to make this starting pitcher addition or whatever. Factors like that are why our website isn't just a list of values. It's There's this trade simulator and there's a trade board. So that's where things can come into play where you listeners, you're a, you're a San Diego Padres fan and you recognize oh they really they're going for it they need this fifth starter maybe that's not the best example but they're willing to overpay for 
Joe Musgrove. So mm -hmm. I'm going to put together a proposal that has them overpaying a little bit uh, within maybe it, maybe it matches up to the higher right. uh, value estimate that we have. We have a low, median, high value estimate for each player. Maybe I'll target that one because I think the Padres are willing to overpay here. Obviously, mm -hmm. that's not what happened, but <laughs> that kind of subjectivity and kind of team-to-team scenario type thing is why is why the simulator and the trade boards exist for because uh, if we were just playing and saying oh you have to make the numbers line up perfectly then it's it's no fun <laughs> no and and i also say you know sometimes we get criticism we're like you know you can't just boil it down to you know one number trades are more than that and i, I totally agree mm -hmm. and it sounds like that's the point you're making too it's got to be a fit for the team and you know there's some give and take there you know we're just trying to you know <clears throat> apply some sort of discipline in, in an approach which we think is what they're doing and then and then there's wiggle room from there and you're right that's what our trade boards are all about where users and fans can say yeah this is not a good fit or that's a better one that's the whole point we let that part of it be crowdsourced in order to get to yeah. that answer yeah because you can't just have the fits without the values either obviously Mike right. trout would be a great fit for the mets they need a center fielder and hey the <laughs> angels need starting pitching jacob de would be a great fit for them yeah <laughs> but it, that's it's the kind of thing we discuss a lot when we uh, kind of critique some MLB.com or wherever else some of their trade proposals is that it can't just be about the fit. <laughs> if yeah. it's just about the fit, you're going to just come with unrealistic. Uh, right. <clears throat> the, yeah, <laughs> you see what I'm getting at here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so we're trying to fill that niche to say, here's a reasonable value for it. So then you apply right. the fit. You know, right. or vice versa. So as long as you you have you can't have one without the other, and mm -hmm. that's hopefully what we're adding to the marketplace. Right. And so that I think that's a pretty good general discussion. I think I wanted to add one more point about the pirates specifically. And I mentioned, I believe, probably a month month or two ago on the podcast that, you know what, you guys just gotta move Musgrove. You can't sit around and sit on your hands with him like, like you did with the other guys. And so now they did, and they didn't get a whole lot according to mm -hmm. our values, and we've already discussed why it might be higher than our value state, but we still think it's they got a little less than we expected no matter what. Um, I still think they, it was the right time to move Musgrove, especially in this particular market. Um, you see Adam Frazier is still on the Pirates, and they could have gotten <clears throat> something of not, not shooting for the moon or anything, but they could have gotten something of sizable value for him last offseason something that could have contributed to their rebuild um you saw josh bell he actually went for a lot more than we expected him <laughs> to go for mm -hmm. we had him as sort of a non-tender candidate uh we discussed that on a podcast episode a while back as well but even him if they had traded him last offseason maybe they get even more for him so it's it's nice to see that the newer now that the new ben sherrington led pittsburgh front office um, is getting kind of comfortable here that they're maybe being a little bit more proactive in this rebuild and saying, okay, we already have the clock ticking a little bit on Cabrian Hayes, who's really the one piece that's made it to the major league level that we say this guy looks like a building block for sure for our next good team. So the clock's already ticking on him. We got to get a move on with shuffling pieces around and building a core around him. Yeah, <clears throat> they are being proactive. They know what they need to do. Uh, Sherrington's on top of it, so I agree with that point. All right, so there's the Joe Musgrove discussion. <laughs> um, <laughs> as always, if you aren't following us on Twitter, go ahead and do so at Baseball Values. Every time there's um, a, a trade like this, really no matter how significant, we'll have the values posted there. And if it is a significant trade, especially if it's a significant trade we missed on, 
we'll go into the explanation of why we think we missed or what, what factors went into the deal, that kind of stuff. So go ahead and give us a follow over there if you haven't already. Um, there was one other minor trade this week, and it's a little little weird. Uh, the Red Sox traded shortstop, uh, minor league shortstop, CJ Chatham, I believe it is, uh, to the Phillies for a player to be named later. And so we had Chatham at 1.9 in trade value. And he he was a bit more of a prospect in previous years. He's already 26. He hasn't really done a whole lot. The power isn't there. Um, he hasn't made his major league debut yet. He was kind of clogging up the 40-man roster for the Red Sox. They have a, they've had a weird 40-man crunch this offseason where it's like, mm. it's a 40-man crunch, but it's a 40-man crunch of a bunch of these guys that's like, do, do they really need to hang on to this guy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it... And they still have Dustin Pedroia on the roster. It's It's been a weird offseason for the Red Sox. Yeah. Um, but they're trying to clear some 40-man space. They need to clear some for another signing that we'll discuss a little later. Um, so they send him off to the Phillies. Player to be named later coming back, so we can't. We obviously can't really discuss the return there. Um, again, estimated in about the... Estimated to be some name. <laughs> not Probably not a zero. Probably have a little bit of trade value. Um, but Chatham was also trending in the wrong direction, kind of seen as maybe a bench guy in the future. So nothing, yeah, nothing too notable like a... there. You might, you might recognize the name, but it's not, he's not the guy he used to be. Yeah. No, he's, he's probably a utility guy. You're right. Yeah. Kind of a, a depth guy. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, to your point about the PTBNL, we don't know the value of that. Obviously we can guess, we can say, oh, it's probably in that range you know right then it probably is and most of the ptbnls are low value so it's not mm -hmm. going out on a limb or anything so but the question is why is it a ptbnl at this stage of the offseason that's unusual yes i there's there's been a couple like that i feel like that's that i haven't fully understood um i believe the the rangers raise trade had a player to be named later and i wasn't quite sure why <laughs> um that, that's that's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that I think even we don't fully understand is the whole player to be named later process. Yeah. It's, um, it's usually a roster construction issue to your point yeah. about the 40 man, you know, there's probably a, an if then kind of thing going on. Well, we're trying to move this guy to get him off the 40. And if we do, then that guy, you know, it, it's some juggling mm -hmm. going on, I think is typically what happens. Yeah. Pending free agent offers, that type mm -hmm. of stuff. Exactly. Uh, we see it a lot around rule five season. <laughs> Obviously right. that was, that is well past now and this has nothing to do with that um i don't know <laughs> we'll see we'll keep you guys updated if we find out who that player to be named later ends up being yeah okay um now we have a slew of free agent news that will kind of i think i think we have like two two parts here so there's the starting pitcher group and there's the blue jays group <laughs> <laughs> so Let's start out with the Yankees picking up Corey Kluber. This happened right after we finished recording our last episode, and I believe before our last episode was uh, was posted. But the Yankees and Corey Kluber came to an agreement, one year, $11 million. Um, obviously, they needed rotation help. We've discussed that before, how it's really Garrett Cole and a bunch of question marks. <laughs> um, bunch of There's some young talent there. There's, some, there's a Jordan Montgomery, that type of, type of guy. Um, they really needed somebody that they could slot right behind Cole. And I don't know if Kluber's necessarily the most reliable guy there, <laughs> yeah. uh, given his injury concerns and even his performance issues um, the last couple of years. But 
he's clearly got the upside. It's a one-year deal. The old adage, there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. Um, it does make things a little bit tricky for the Yankees in regards to the luxury tax, but it seems like a good fit. Obviously, there's the Eric Cressy connection. Um, mm-hmm. Kluber was training, rehabbing at Eric Cressy's, uh, at his program, and Cressy works with the Yankees. So uh, connection there probably had them Give them, gave them a bit of a leg up. There were plenty of other teams interested after his after Kluber's bullpen session, his showcase. Um, so yeah, what what do you think about this? About the specifically about the dollar value here? Um, yeah. So clearly the Yankees needed pitching help after losing Tanaka and Paxton, and you know, so they got some question marks. From a valuation standpoint, look, <clears throat> we all know Kluber's history, two-time Cy Young Award winner, but he's 35 now, and he's coming off two lost years essentially both from health mostly from health for health reasons and and performance reasons very hard to model because you end up sort of guessing so i've made the point about injury risk in the past and that's something like if you look at a projection model let's say steamer has them as 2.6 great but they they're not thinking about the entry risk Mm -hmm. you know the the and we are because that would put a model much higher than the market so there's injury risks uh, tend to follow a curve much like performance. There's two two different curves going on here, but they, they sort of align. The older you get, the more likely you are to get injured, and the less likely you are to stay healthy. So we discount for that. I'm not ever saying our model is perfect. We There's some, some subjectivity on here, but clearly losing two years for this and that injury for Kluber is, means his injury risk is significant. So, you know, already being a 35-year-old, it's significant, but on top of that, missing two years is going to make it even more so. So your your math calculation is going to go way down because of that. That's really the drag here because you know no one's going to spend a whole bunch of money on a guy who hasn't pitched effectively since 2018. Yeah, 2018. So, you know, 11 was probably the top offer he got. You mentioned the connections and you know, and the Yankees interest. So, but I, I couldn't see him getting more than that. So we had to kind of back out a little bit. Like that's, you know, if that's the, I can't say that, um, you know, our injury risk assumptions are perfect or right, but, you know, we're, we're, we're docking him significantly for that. And I think that's common sense, having missed the last two years. He's got a lot of risk. So $11 million feels about right. So that's where we have him at 11.1 based on some assumptions there. So, you know, we're just going with the market on this one. Yeah. In one way, it's high upside in that you're getting, Corey freaking Gluber on a one-year deal. Yeah. <laughs> on the other end, a large part of what made Corey Kluber Corey freaking Kluber was durability. He was a guy who would always go deep in the games, give you 30 plus starts a year. He was very reliable for a good yeah. three, four-year stretch there in Cleveland. And now you don't have that. You have upside in terms of talent, and that he could go out there and post a sub-three ERA. And I don't think anybody would be incredibly surprised because it's Corey Kluber. But he's not going to do that over after missing two years, especially with one of them being a weird shortened 2020, everything that happened that season. He's not going to go out there and give you 180 innings of that performance plus 20, 25, 30 in the postseason. Right. So you have to kind of temper those types of expectations a little bit. And the Yankees are really looking more and more like they're just going to have to piece together a a rotation (laughs) for this entire year. You got between him jordan montgomery hasn't necessarily had the cleanest track record 
Uh, Cole is Cole's pretty reliable. You can pencil him in there to just yeah. take the ball 32, 33 times and be fine with it. Um, but between them, between Luis Severino coming back, you don't really know how much you can expect from him. And then you're into young guys, Davey Garcia, Clark Schmidt, those types. It's They could probably use a Masahiro Tanaka as well. Um, according to reports, they're way far off. Uh, Tanaka's kind of threatening to go back to Japan. He's looking for a like 15 to 20 million range on a one-year deal, and teams aren't offering that for Masahiro Tanaka. Yeah, he's... Um, he's... He's been and he's getting older and he's in decline. Clearly, he's been kind of mm-hmm. you know just he's 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 a hard worker and and, and you know I gotta respect the guy, but he's you know you always got the sense he was on the knife edge of just falling apart. He had the arm <laughs> issue and you know it's yeah he's not worth as much as he might have gotten you know from from a team in Japan. So that's probably where he's gonna go. Right, and I, I'd be shocked if the Yankees didn't add another notable arm maybe not another ace type arm i'm not talking luis castillo um which (laughs) to that point we did have a bit of a luis castillo saga over the weekend (laughs) um with some you know you know on last week's on last week's podcast i mentioned that some of some reports that come and i think there's a few reporters i have in mind i won't name any names but some reports that come um from a couple of those unverified and they tend to be kind of you know from dominican republic i believe um some some of those reports are not necessarily the most trustworthy. So we saw that with reports that Tatis had already agreed to this mega extension, and whoa, hold on, he hasn't. And then we saw reports that were trying to suggest that Luis Castillo was headed to the Yankees for sure, done deal. They were going to send a big bat with him. And they picked up some traction, and then Jeff Passan shuts him down and just says, no, this isn't happening. Stop being ridiculous. Don't trust these sources. <laughs> so... Yeah. And then the GM had to go and jump in and said, no, <laughs> right, we're not, right. And then, that's not happening. And uh, the large basis of these reports was, oh, Miguel Andujar and Clint Frazier have to be in this deal, which is like pretty on brand for the Yankees trade proposals yeah. of the last, I don't know, like four years, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Every deal just tries to shove those two into it. Um, and I mean, I guess here it does make a little sense, at least on the Frazier standpoint, he's a little... Mm. Yeah. superfluous in new york and cincinnati could use a cost affordable bat like that um but the reports were saying oh it's going to be those two plus some other pieces for castillo and maybe nick castellanos or mike moustakis to try and offset castillo's trade value a little bit with an mm-hmm. underwater contract mm-hmm. um and then reports came out after the fact that the reds are pushing for glaber torres mm-hmm. in addition to those it was types torres of plus yes and we don't know what the plus is yes but and if you take a look on our values, Torres plus <laughs> Torres plus Frazier and Andujar for Castillo and one of those sunk contracts is pretty fair. Yes. I would argue, though, that the Yankees should not trade Frazier because he was one of the only healthy bats they had. I mean, Stanton's right. always hurt. Judge gets hurt, hurt a lot. Hicks has been hurt a lot. You know, you can't count on those three, especially over a long season. So you're going to need Frazier, and he came alive last year, so I wouldn't trade him. Um, right. So um, I don't know that there's a fit there is the problem. I mean, you could package a bunch of prospects or, if you know, but I, but I think absolutely, to your point, the Reds were right to ask for Torres Plus because I think that's where the, you know, it's the only way the valuations lined up and made sense. Um, mm-hmm. We don't think Eduhar has much value at all. He hasn't you know, produce much at all. And then the Yankees haven't shown much confidence in him in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. You know, projection systems don't like him. 
you don't have a place to play him defensively. He's been terrible in the field. He's maybe a DH, you know. So, but but even then, um, you know, it's it's there's still questions about his bat because he only had the one good year a couple of years ago, and then um, he's almost out of options as well. So he's a he's a guy who hasn't established himself. And oh, by the way, you're going to have to roster him. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of negatives there with him. So Yankee fans may think he has a lot more value than he actually does based on our sort of modeling. Yeah, we don't think he, there's much there at all. Yeah, the progression there for Andujar was that he had that strong rookie year, uh, but it was kind of a low OBP rookie year. It was a lot of it, a lot of the damage in Yankee Stadium. It was a lot of doubles, which aren't mm-hmm. necessarily consistent year to year, that, that they're not the most consistent predictors of future success. Yeah. Um, and then he falls off, he has the injury, his defense was horrible that rookie year, and it really hasn't gotten any better, despite reports of, oh, they're so excited about how he looks at third base, or, oh, he looks so good <laughs> in left field. We haven't seen it on the major league field, so we're not going to buy any of that yet. Yeah. Uh, we think he's a subpar defender, and the bat had one good year that even wasn't that great, not, not necessarily as great as it looked on the surface to a casual fan, so he's... Yeah, he's he's fallen far from. <laughs> I think in the early days of the site, we did have him valued fairly highly before we tweaked the model, corrected things, made adjustments for players like him. Um, and now you, you're correct; he's not not very valuable. According yeah, to our model. He, yeah. To that point, you know, he had some prospect value, and we you you know early on in our site, we were giving kind of a ramp of about a three year adjustment period for prospects who sort of graduate and then sort of adjust to the major league level. And what we found over time is that that was a little too generous and it's really more of like a two-year window so and we also have to kind of watch um what what front offices are doing the decisions they make if they're not playing that guy there's probably a reason for that if he's already sort of come up you know and and started to adjust but then he goes back down again and he's not called back up you know there must be a reason for that maybe he's injured but if he's not injured that's not a vote of confidence and so we've had to do a there's a little bit of subjectivity there but um once we made that change, we found that it was much more accurate because that's in effect a zero year for a player of contribution at the major league level. So I think that's that's the issue you're pointing to with Andujar is that you know he really you know hasn't the Yankees have not shown confidence in him. You know, so if they don't, why should any other team? Right. I called that the Luis Urias adjustment. Exactly. <laughs> that was that was when that happened. We had Urias right. at like a 55. And the Padres traded him for Trent Grisham, who we had at like a 15 or something. And it was because Urias was a highly regarded prospect, hadn't done anything in the big league level. Padres kind of stopped giving him opportunities. Um, And we found out well after, after the trade had already been completed and everything that, oh, prospect evaluators have soured on him significantly. He's, he's no longer the guy he once was. And so every now and then, especially when one of these Musgrove type deals comes up or something like that, anything doing with the Padres, we always get a few, few wise guys <laughs> who are scrolling through our Twitter history and decide, Oh, these guys thought Luis Urias was worth this much more than Trent Grisham. And they retweet it and laugh at us. And it's like, yeah, we did. And that yeah. was before we fixed things that was a long <clears throat> yeah. time ago. <laughs> that was a lesson. It was one of the early lessons learned as yes. well. And, and actually, I mean, there's been many other cases like that. And you notice like guys who, you know, we've dropped the value on Nick Senzel and, um, you know, Franklin Barreto used to be right. a 55. He was a top 50 prospect. He just couldn't figure out how to how to hit a slider. And he's got a terrible eye at the plate. And he kept getting chance after chance. And you could tell by the front, front office decisions they weren't, weren't confident in him because they you know, went out and traded for Tony Kemp. You know, so he wasn't getting playing time. We read the tea leaves there. We learned that lesson. We kept dropping him down. And eventually he gets 
you know, <clears throat> he gets traded for uh, a month of Tommy Listella, you know, so right. he's down to like one or two. That proved to be correct. So that lesson is now ingrained with us. And so Andohar is following a similar path. Right. All right. Let's move on from Yankees. We could talk Yankees all day, and I think we'd get pretty good numbers from it. <laughs> what else to talk about here? Uh, I think I just want to breeze through these next two. Um, Red Sox signed Martin Perez. It'll be a $4.5 million salary for 2021, and then a $6 million option for 2022 with a $500,000 buyout. He's an arm. <laughs> They've missed out on a lot of players. Um, they really need starting pitching. He was with them last year. They liked him enough. He's nothing special in any means. Um, he was he was looking for a little bit int- a little interesting for a while there with the cutter, but it doesn't seem like it's actually revitalized his career like he had hoped. Um, so he's kind of just back end innings eater type. Yep, nothing to complain about really. Yeah, and the and the price was fair. Our model seems right. to think it's right right there. Right. Okay, and then the Nationals signed John Lester, uh, so he'll make five million dollars in 2021. And there's been some disagreement over whether there's a mutual option on that on the second year um i I haven't seen anything definitive either way um but lester to the nationals again he's he's a bit older he's fallen off in recent years he will be just a back-end guy for them um there were talks that he could return to the cubs and you think at this price point it would have made sense for them they need arms there's obviously a very good relationship there uh but maybe he just didn't want to be a part of what looks more and more like a rebuild there. So he's going to go join the Nationals, eat some innings there. Again, I don't think there's anything I can really <laughs> complain about here. No, and this is a good example, though, of aging curves and mm-hmm. you know, its effect on performance and therefore its effect on, on value. Um, he's clearly, you know, um, if you look at his ex-Wilwood numbers, four years ago he was at 284, which is excellent. Mm-hmm. And then 317 which is about average for a starter and then 340 which is uh now you're now you're getting bad and 338 which validated the 340 so like two two week years so now he's kind of an under uh former you know kind of a below average starter he's going to be 37 this year so as we talked about with kluber higher injury risk even though he's been pretty durable you got to bake that in so factoring all of this, you know, dra- dragging down his numbers or his projections based on injury risk and and, and um, performance decline, you know, he's worth about four million. Um, he's getting five, so it's yeah. about right. Yeah, I respect the Nationals for trying <laughs> yeah. with with things like signing Lester, signing Schwarber, trading for Josh Bell, uh, but at this point, and I don't I don't know if there is still another move in that tank. I don't know if there's another Bryant they can afford or something along those lines. Um, at this point, I think they're still clearly the third best team in that division. I think the Mets have passed them, and the Braves are still kind of the team to beat there. Yeah, but they're going to give it one last shot, and I give them credit mm-hmm. for that. They've got Scherzer for one more year, right. and they've got to figure, okay, this is it. They've got no farm, so there's not much to trade with. They gave a mm-hmm. couple of minor prospects for Bell. Um, and it makes sense that they're, you know, Lester obviously had has great postseason experience, so maybe mm-hmm. if luck breaks right, he can help them in the postseason if they were to actually make it that far yeah. and it's only a one-year deal which aligns with the scherzer control um and same thing you know josh bell has two years you know so they're they're making short-term upgrades or just yeah, maybe upgrades is the wrong word but they're filling holes with one-year mm-hmm. guys because they know they've probably only got one year left to con- try to contend mm-hmm. i'd say replacing adam eaton with schwarber is an upgrade <laughs> potentially yeah <laughs> depending yeah. on how there's the another goes. good example right right <laughs> okay 
Um, now the Angels finally got a starting pitcher. It's not necessarily the one they've been shooting for, uh, but they picked up lefty Jose Quintana on a one-year $8 million deal. I believe he only made one or two appearances in 2020. He yeah. had that early injury, the thumb injury. Didn't, right. Did he cut himself on something in spring yeah, training or some, something? Yeah, yeah, some weird accident like that. Yeah. yeah, usually you hear about that kind of stuff, and it keeps him out for a couple weeks, but it, it kept him out most of the season. Um, he's had a weird career where he was super underrated with the White Sox, and then he comes over to Chicago in that huge trade, Eloy Jimenez, mm-hmm. and then kind of goes back to (laughs) he fell off a little bit he stopped being so underrated he was still a solid innings eater and maybe he had some bad luck there with the peripherals um but era ballooned a little bit he was useful for them but nothing not the guy i don't i don't think he was the guy they were expecting to get when they gave up uh, jimenez but he's only 31 and he'll be at least he'll eat some innings hopefully (laughs) for an angels team that really just needs arms they don't have a whole lot of certainty in that rotation we've talked before about you don't know what to expect from otani uh you figure bundy's pretty set up top of the rotation but haney eh griffin canning eh i mean right yeah if i'm an angels fan i'm thinking it's it's lather rinse repeat i mean just like Okay, this is Julio Tehran again. Uh, okay, before that it was, you know... Trevor um, Cahill, Matt Trevor Harvey. Trevor Cahill, Matt Harvey. <laughs> like, why do they keep signing these sort of retread guys that are not really frontline starters yet again? You know, you know, bang your head against the wall. Learn your lesson. <laughs> I do That's think what Quintana... I'm thinking if I'm an Angels fan, right? Yeah, I do think Quintana's a step above those guys. No, but that's what I was. That's my setup. Yeah. So then I was going to go there. It's like he actually is better than those guys, and so I yeah. think there may be a change. So if you look just at his F WAR numbers, I mean, he a few years ago he was at four nine, four three, four nine, four zero. He was a consistent four WAR guy, you know. Um, mm-hmm. FIPS in the threes, low threes. He had one bad year in 2018, which is dipped down to 1.7 WAR. But then he was back up again in 2019 at 3.5. Last year was a thumb injury. He's he's only a year removed from a 3.5 F WAR season with a 3.80 FIP. So you know you could be getting that guy again. Projections suggest he's worth he's more like a two WAR player now, 1.9 guy. I think this is a fair price for him. Uh, he's getting a little bit older. His best years are probably behind him. Mm-hmm. Um, Value-wise, we have him right there at 8.1. They paid 8 for him. So, uh, But there's a little bit of upside there because the thumb injury may be dragging down those projections a little bit, and that's probably not fair. So, mm-hmm. And, you know, we didn't I, – I didn't um, – when I was doing the model for this one, I didn't factor in last year at all because it was an anomaly. So, um, Yeah, through 10 innings. So, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't consider that much. So um, I think there may be a little bit of so – even, so even though we're splitting the difference and saying he's about right, rightly priced, I think – he's maybe a little bit better investment than some of the guys they've had in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that for them. I think I think he'll be useful for them for sure. Yeah. Okay, let's get into Blue Jays, and we're going to go kind of smallest to biggest here. Do you have any thoughts on Tyler Chatwood? <laughs> he signs for, I, for $3 million yeah. with incentives. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, he had a little bit of a bounce back, right? But I can't mm-hmm. figure out if he's a reliever or a starter. You know, we... He used to be a starter, then they he was terrible when he went to the Cubs, and then they said, okay, we'll throw him in the bullpen, and they showed some signs of life. So he earned some respectability again, and then they went back and, and tried him as a starter. I don't know what the, how the Blue Jays are going to look. Either way, mm-hmm. he's not very valuable. What did they pay $3 million for him, which is about right, yeah. based on what we've got. 
So, you know, I think he can go either way. He sort of reminds me of, uh, at this point, you know, Mike Montgomery. Um, like, was he a starter? Was he a reliever? Mm-hmm. A little both? <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah, back-end guy, innings eater guy, at best. <clears throat> yeah, he's, he's had the strangest career where you, he was the huge buy-low signing out of Colorado. In 2017, he, he had a pretty rough season for the Rockies, but, I mean, it's, it's Colorado. He's pitching in Coors. Uh, people got excited. There was a big velo uptick. He, mm-hmm. he gained two and a half miles an hour on his fastball from 16 to 17. So he was kind of one of those guys that everyone said, like, ooh, he's the... And that was that was right in the peak of the era of, like, oh, let's rescue this guy and tweak him, and suddenly we have an ace. <laughs> and right. the Cubs thought they could pull that off with Chatwood. And normally guys who just posted a 469 ERA, 494 FIP, aren't getting three-year deals. But he did, and he got a pretty favorable three-year deal from the Cubs, and... It didn't work. <laughs> and he maybe showed some flashes where it did work, like you mentioned, kind of moving between the pen and the rotation. Um, but he still really hasn't settled into anything. I am kind of fascinated to watch a team that could have both him and Robbie Ray in their rotation. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, I think there's still more coming for the Blue Jays' rotation. Uh, but just having those two in it, I'd be a little scared as a Blue Jays fan. <laughs> yeah, and then you've got Rourke and Stripling, who also yeah. are back-end starters at best right now, too. So yeah. you're flooded with these back-end guys, right? Yeah, I think they're just going to try and uh, score more runs than their opponent every game by, <laughs> by hitting a bunch of home runs and crossing their fingers on the other half innings. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> well, at least they're looking like they're building a decent bullpen. They signed Kirby Yates. He gets a $5.5 million guarantee on his one-year deal. Mm-hmm. Um, $4.5 in performance benefits. So, And I believe uh, with the way that those benefits work out, um, it's it's he has a pretty low innings threshold. I think it's, it might right. be 30 or something. Exactly. Um, to end up getting $8 million-ish, somewhere in that range. I, again, I don't yeah, have the specifics 8.5. in front of me. Yeah, yeah. yeah so... Yeah, I plugged in those numbers earlier today when I saw that. And so sort of the base case is 8.5 because, you know, there's a sort of a common sense thing. You have to sort of ask yourself, mm-hmm. okay, why would we sign him? Because we want him to be a, an effective reliever. Well, okay, if you're going to do that, you're probably going to pitch him 30 innings. Mm-hmm. Um, that's point number one. Point number two is, um, you know, there's a health question with him. So you have to discount for that a little bit. Uh, I don't know how serious it is, frankly, um, but it doesn't seem to be based on the interest that he got, it, you know, that that's a huge factor. In other words, I'm sort of playing this one down the middle, 8.5. I, you know, if you play it down the middle and you say, okay, um, give him a little bit of an injury risk, you know, then he's worth about 8.1 if he throws 30 innings for 8.5 and you're right around there. So it's probably how it's going to work out. It's a bit of a reach to the next threshold. I think it's 70 maybe too much for him at this point but you know 8.5 you know against an 8.1 is, is fair yeah we usually don't screw around with incentives um we're not in the business of tracking those and getting everybody their extra two hundred fifty thousand right. in salary every time they hit that mark so we can adjust their trade value we, we it's <laughs> it's a little too nitty-gritty for us right. um, a lot of the time the incentives aren't even fully publicized so and it, it's never never essentially clear exactly who's paying them what how it works what years dollars it accounts to whatever yeah Uh, we we consider those a part of the noise a part of the margin for error except for in a unique case like this where it's it kind of makes or 
breaks the deal in a sense. Exactly. You figure if he's not getting that first incentive threshold, he's just a flat. <laughs> he, he's he's injured and out for the season. He's a flat negative 5.5 or whatever the prorated <clears throat> version of that base salary is. Right. Yeah. And yeah. So absolutely right. Um, you know, because usually if they're if they're pitching well, they're going to make those incentives. So their their field value will go up in accordance with their mm-hmm. pay. So it kind of it's a wash, right? So we don't really yeah. need to bother with it. But once in a while, there's a contract that, yeah, to your point, is a little bit like uh, Tony Watson with the Giants a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. Very low base. It was all incentives. So then we had to sort of model out, okay, if he does this and he does that, know, what's the most reasonable expectation and bake that in. So that's kind of what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As far as the fit goes, I like it for the Blue Jays. I like that they're pushing a lot of chips in. I think it was Mark Shapiro, um, and we'll get to a one more Blue Jays move and one more potential Blue Jays move in a minute. Um, but I believe it was Mark Shapiro who said something at the beginning of the offseason along the lines of, yeah, we're going to be active. You can expect us to add either four good free agents or two really good free agents. He said something along those lines. And yeah. to this point, we've seen them missing on guys like DJ LeMahieu and watching them just head to other teams. I believe they were, <clears throat> were they interested in James McCann? There was another top free agent they missed on. Uh, Liam Hendricks they missed on. Right. Um, but now it seems like they're finally making a run here, adding a bunch of guys. I uh, don't know how this pitching staff is fully going to look, as I mentioned, between Chatwood, Ray, <laughs> you brought up Rourke and Stripling, um, Kirby Yates, there's some uncertainty here. But I like that they're trying, and I like how it's how it's shaping up for now. So they're one of the teams, one of the two teams that has money, them and the Mets, mm-hmm. right? But the Mets coffers are starting to get full. Um, they're they're getting close after the Lindor trade and Carrasco's salary, and then you know they made some free agent signings. So they're Trevor getting May, close to James McCann. Yeah, so they're they're spending money and they're getting they're starting to get up there, which means the Blue Jays, you know, everyone's shifting, and then the Mets have an, uh, an off-field GM issue, obviously. But so then the focus has suddenly shifted to Blue Jays. Oh, that's the other team with money, and <laughs> you know the agents are calling them up, and I'm sure Shapiro's Shapiro's. Uh, uh, phone is ringing off the hook here because they're the only other one. They don't have much in the way of committed salary, and they didn't lose as much as my understanding uh, as some other teams did. So they're fair game. So I'm not surprised that they're spending money now. And they are in this small boat of teams that are kind of that are kind of penalized by no means of their own, no fault of their own. Yeah. Um, we've heard many times in the past Rockies executives talk about how difficult it is to sign pitchers because they have Coors Field nobody wants to go pitch in Coors we've heard A's executives talk about how it's difficult to sign free agents because of the stadium there nobody wants to train and spend time at the Coliseum Blue Jays have a similar deal except it's the country there's just so many legal issues that involved in that move to Canada and in traveling in and out of Canada especially if you are an American citizen, and especially now in in pandemic times with all that uncertainty. Um, So there is some speculation that they have to pay a little bit of a Canada tax (laughs) for some of their free agents. Um, And I think we'll get to that in in a minute here with this next deal. But the fact that they have to pay this additional price for their free agents, and they're still saying in back-to-back off-seasons too, they signed Ryu to the big contract last off-season. And I mean... George Springer, I'll just go ahead and <laughs> you yeah. guys already know that. I'm not going to keep it a secret. Signed George Springer as well to a mega contract. It seems like that despite 
some of these financial issues and some of these hurdles that they have to clear. They're just saying, okay, we, we have this core right now that we believe in, these young players. We're not going to miss our window here. We're going to add to it right now. Yeah, and that's good. They're, they're probably, I mean, the young core still hasn't peaked yet, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Vlad Guerrero is still, what, 21-ish? Yes. You know? So is Bichette. You know, I mean, they, their best days are still ahead of them. So you could argue, like, well, why are they spending now? Because they may not be in their prime yet. On the other hand, they did pretty well last year, and their window has started to open. So and they've got money to spend, so why not spend mm-hmm. it? And this doesn't look like a red situation where they spend all for a year and if things go south they're gonna have to spend the next two years trying to offload all these guys that's not right. what it looks like here right um, this looks like a commitment to being competitive for the next five plus years good for them i think um, the so... only other sort of issue they've had with free agency is where are they playing because of the pandemic mm-hmm. they had to play in buffalo last year so they may still have that issue um so you know but i think you know money talks and i think they're ultimately gonna you know sign a few more so um mm-hmm. good for them it's a perfect segue into Springer. Uh, so he gets six years and $150 million. Um, the Mets were kind of the next team involved there. According to reports, their offer fell a little bit short of that one. I think I think it was around like five or six years, $120 million, $125 million. Um, So as I mentioned, the Blue Jays kind of had to, maybe, might, maybe had to pay a little bit of a Canada tax there, and a bit of an uncertainty tax there. Um, but they get their guy. They've been pushing hard for pretty much every top free agent, but specifically for Springer, I think, since day one. Um, They have a bit of an uncertain outfield situation. Mm -hmm. Um, They have three guys, Randall Gritchick, Teoscar Hernandez, uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., where you look at them all and you say, yeah, he could start in an outfield, but you can do better. You you can say that about all three of them. So they went out and said, yes, we can do better, we're going to do better, and we'll figure out what to do with those other guys. Yeah, and they got a DH spot to use as well, which yeah. is probably going to be where Teoscar ends up. Um, mm-hmm. He seems like a DH type, ultimately. Um, now, what's interesting is that, <clears throat> you know, Springer's an okay center fielder, but you remember the Astros were always replacing him in center with Jake Marisnik yeah. and moving him to right, which suggests that he's not as good a center fielder as you might think. And now he has to go on turf. And now he's going to go on turf, and he's in his 30s, and generally you lose a step, so you're you don't see a lot of over 30 center fielders. So he's probably going to end up in right is my point. And so that's why I think Tay Oscar is going to end up in, uh, in the DH spot, but we'll see, you know, mm-hmm. um, Grishik's not a great center fielder either. He's just sort of, eh. um, but anyway, I want to talk about the valuation for Springer. So yeah. I anticipated this and I sort of plugged in some numbers. And so where we get to with the six year contract is fair value on him is 139.6, call it 140 and round it up. And they paid 150. So they overpaid to your point a little bit. Uh, by about 10 million mm-hmm. um now that'll erase itself pretty quickly if they make the playoffs again which they probably will now based on what yeah. we just said and with springer so you get a little bit of an added bonus and for probably a couple of years because these guys are still still coming to the prime the core as we just mentioned has many years to go so you could easily justify that would say well you get them for october too which is kind of a free bonus so that's easily going to be worth the 10 million shortfall so um i can see it from that point of view i think it's fair now there, you know, the way these, I don't know what the year by year breakdown is, but if we just assume it's a flat 25 times six, mm-hmm. you know, what you're going to get is surplus on the front end and negative value on the back end, right? So 
So in our model, he's worth you know 31.8 in 2021, and then it goes down with aging decline in, in his 30s. He's going to 29, then 25, then 21, 18, then 13. So most of the negative value is in the last year. It's pretty much the the front years sort of have positive, and then it's about right, and then the back years you, you get negative a little bit, and then that last year, that sixth year, is where it goes really negative, like minus 11. So you know, which is why teams are always hesitant to give that extra year, you'd think. Um, but there's always a give and take there with the money. Um, six years will put him into his age 36 season. So, you know, he's he's going to be a DH probably at age 36 yeah. when it comes to that, which is going to knock his down value down a little bit. But like I said, it's going to be offset by the, the playoff bonus a little bit. So I think it's in the well within the range of fair. Yeah, can you can you name the other center fielders off the top of your head who have received larger contracts than George Springer? Uh, no, I mean the first one that comes to mind, especially at his age, is Lorenzo Cain, but that wasn't larger. That was like what eighty million. Um, yeah, I so believe not exclusively free agent. Um, no. <clears throat> you think right, of somebody? One of, them, one of them is Mike Trout. <laughs> oh well, duh. <clears throat> you know he's not going to stay in center field much longer either. By the way, he's probably starting to get a little. As he gets older, he'll move to left or right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the specifics here is actually the center fielders who have received a higher an annual value than Springer's $25 million. The only one is Trout. And the only center fielders who have received more than Springer's $150 million total are Mike Trout, Matt Kemp, and wouldn't you know it, Jacoby Ellsbury. <laughs> Wow. A couple of those deals didn't turn out the way they, <laughs> no. they were supposed to. No. And, and then the obvious comparison here is George Springer, Vernon Wells. Um, I don't think that's going to happen here. <laughs> I think George Springer is a very, very talented player, especially he's a phenomenal hitter, phenomenal postseason hitter. Um, I don't think I don't think Blue Jays fans have to be too worried about another Vernon Wells or about a Jacoby Ellsbury type situation. But there are, as you mentioned, legitimate positional concerns legitimate injury concerns especially on the turf so there's risk here for sure yeah um yeah like i said you know he'll be fine um he's probably going to get a little bit of war decline when he switches from center field to right as i expected maybe not mm -hmm. immediately but after a year or two you know starts to slow down a little bit so you might go a little bit negative because of that um, a little bit more so than what i already said but it's again it's it's close enough mm -hmm. and then you did mention that you think Teoscar's a DH, and that's where he's going to have to move. There were reports this morning that have since been refuted about the Blue Jays signing Michael Brantley. And so it still seems like the teams are in very close conversation, that they might be the front runners to sign him. At a <clears throat> minute there, it looked it looked like it was finalized. Ken Rosenthal so, was reporting it. Everyone was reporting it. Yeah. Uh, it seems so like we that have was to... a bit... Sorry, Go ahead. we have some breaking news. He is signed with the Astros for 232. Oh, okay then. That's <laughs> that's a bit of a pivot. Yeah. Yes. Uh, breaking news while we were on the show. Great, great. While Thank we you were taking that, that, while you were looking up the center fielders thing, I, <laughs> I did a little. Oh, there's Bradley. It's on Twitter. It's on MLPTR. 232. Astros. Okay. Well, that. That changes the direction I was going in with that conversation. Let's, let's just wrap up Blue Jays real quick. Where I was going with that was if he, if the Jays are signing him, he's their DH. Uh, they're not going to have they're not going to be able to shove Tay Oscar there. Uh, they still have a bit of a log jam there that they could 
choose to resolve with a trade. Um, so they have Springer taking over in the outfield. And then, as we mentioned, Guriel, Grichik, and Teoscar Hernandez each need a spot. Um, they have Rowdy Tellez, who they might want to keep at DH. Um, might want to see what they have with him. So maybe they make a trade from that outfield surplus. Yeah. Um, the value is real quick. Teoscar Hernandez has the highest value of the three. He had a phenomenal offensive season last year. The, the, the defense is limited, but the bat is legit there. Um, we have an, at 32.5. Guriel is younger and comes with another year of control. Um, he also has some positional versatility, though it's a bit of a question mark as to how good of a defender he is in on the infield. Um, so we have him at 26.3 million. And then Grichik is the oldest, and I thought that contract was weird from the second they signed him to it. And <laughs> he's he's underwater for sure. He's not a he has some on-field value. He's not a complete waste. Um, in the lineup or in the field, but 112 WRC plus last year, 90 WRC plus the, the year before, with below average center field defense, yeah. he's at negative 12.6 million in trade yeah. value. Yeah, so, I think everybody in the industry was baffled when they extended him. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm not because you know maybe they saw something nobody else did, but you know as time has passed, I think the consensus was right. Like, yeah, he's not worth that, uh, and so now they're kind of stuck. Right. Uh, yeah, he would be the obvious one to move, but mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't see anybody taking that unless they coupled him with a prospect, and they've got plenty of prospects, so mm-hmm. that's a potential deal. But you know, but I don't know. Guriel they don't have or to right now. Hernandez could make a lot of sense in a trade for a Sunny Gray type. Um, I'm not sure the Reds would be lining up at the chance to get one of those kind of left field only type guys since they yeah. already have jesse winker right but the values line up and maybe cincinnati's in more of a we need to acquire talent type mode and so and, and there are other starting pitchers on the market that could be considered as well it's just sunny ray is the first that comes to mind yeah i mean cleveland obviously needs outfield help um mm-hmm. but you know they've traded carrasco i don't see them trading another veteran starter so yeah bieber's know. not going anywhere no um at least so... not until like two or three years from now yeah, and they're going young with the rest of the rotation, so they're yeah. they're going to stick with those guys, I'm sure. Yeah. So yeah, <clears throat> it's it, but you know they don't need to make a trade because they can just like I said, they've got that DH spot, which is sort of you know a filler spot, and it's going to be a long season. You need depth, so I don't mm-hmm. know that they need to really. Yeah, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Uh, they all are are also um, reportedly still interested in Trevor Bauer, so we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Uh, but now let's get into the actual Brantley deal, uh, the late breaking news, as you mentioned, two years, $32 million to the Astros returning to Houston. Uh, what is, what does the value say here? Um, it's going to be a little bit of overpace. That's basically what he got the last time Houston signed mm-hmm. him. And the difference is he's two years older now. He's going to be yeah. 34 and 35 and not much defensive value. So it's, you know, you're looking like a DH. It's a little bit much to pay. I mean, obviously he's coming off a really good offensive season. He's been, you know, really professional hitter, kind of money in the bank when he comes up, you know, every time in the lineup. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, and maybe if Houston has some playoff hopes to my earlier point, you know, you can use him in, in October. So, you know, we think he was worth 23, nine, so call it 24. So it's an overpay of about eight. Um, mm-hmm. But there was a market for him, so a bit of a supply and demand thing there. And so, and again, if you use him in October and you apply some bonus, it's going to narrow that gap a little bit, and then maybe skew. You know, if you if you think his his resurgence and his health is all fine, you you know, it's the high side you could do it, but it's a little bit of an overpay. Yeah, and 
I don't know if desperation move is the right word. I don't want to. I don't want to imply that the Astros saw those reports and went, "Oh no, no, you can't go to the Blue Jays here. Here's eight million more dollars. Come sign with us." <laughs> I don't want to imply that because I don't think that's what happened. But the Astros don't have an outfield. <laughs> they have they have Kyle Tucker and some empty yeah. spots. Yep. <laughs> and they just saw and not 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 to imply that Brantley will play the outfield. I still think he is. Um, due for a decent amount of DH time. Keep in mind they have Jordana Alvarez as well, though, That's who's right, going to need yeah. DH time. They have him yeah. coming back from injury, so maybe Brantley does see significant outfield time. Um, but, you know, the, the market's thinning out a little bit. Just saw Springer come off the board. Brantley's kind of the next best option, yeah. especially for the Astros and for what they need and for to add another left-handed bat, or I guess retain a left-handed bat. So maybe they're... Maybe this is one of those cases where they're willing to go a little farther than another team might, willing to go past the point of fair value. Um, also want to point out that you mentioned that this is the same, essentially the same deal they signed him to the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been 10% better <laughs> offensively the last two years uh, than he was in the year before he was signed to that initial deal. Granted, he? his defense has taken yeah. a bit of a step. He's had some injuries. He he's always had injuries but he's continued to have some get banged up every now and then he's more of a dh consideration down the road and he is older yeah but it's not just a case of oh it's the same guy but two years older and they're giving him the same money he has he has changed a little bit and so um yeah maybe the talent has at least partially offset the aging a little bit yeah yeah he's defying the aging curve it's true he's mm-hmm. you know he's such a good hitter and obviously the astros know him well and and like him so you know a little bit of hometown you know maybe effect there as well um and to your point they really need an outfielder so um yeah it's not the worst not at all by any means you know it's sometimes it's money well spent you know because if you're still trying to be competitive you might have to overpay a little bit and it's just part of the part of playing the game so mm-hmm. I, it doesn't bother me at all yeah one curious note that i hadn't i hadn't realized just as somebody who watches a lot of al west games uh, brantley is a pest <laughs> as you alluded mm-hmm. to professional hitter he always puts together an insane at bat uh, and then just flicks something out into the outfield it seems like every single time uh 2020 weird seasons shortened season all that so those caveats apply of course but he had his highest strikeout rate since 2011 at 15.0%. And now, obviously, 15% in today's day and age is still very, very low. It's still well below league average. Um, but that's not necessarily the direction you want that to trend if you're Michael Brantley or if you're the Astros. So not sure not sure how these next two years are going to look for them. I still think he is a good bat to add, and they, they definitely needed a guy like him to return to their lineup if they want to kind of keep pace in the West. Uh, but just, just something to note there. Yep, good point. Okay, so that's all the news for this week, and we are doing a fantastic job of running long. So <laughs> let's get into this trade of the week. Um, so this one comes from Mike Mulligan90, and it is a three-team deal, but it's actually two separate two-team deals <laughs> it's presented as a three-team deal but there are no pieces that necessitate it being a three-team mm-hmm. deal it could just be separated out into here's one trade here's another trade but let's just go ahead and discuss it anyway it's cubs yankees and nationals so in this deal the cubs are offloading their two highest rumored trade chips i would i would say in chris bryant who we have at 2.8 million 
he goes to the Nationals. We have him on. He's on that big contract, and we've discussed before how difficult that contract's going to be to move and how much it um, how much it hinders his trade value. Mm-hmm. They're also sending Kyle Hendricks, who's one of their higher value trade chips, to the Yankees. Uh, we have him at 37.5 million, uh, starting pitcher, three years of team control. He's been phenomenal. He's on an affordable contract, and the Yankees need a guy like that. We've discussed their rotation needs. Well, in exchange, the Cubs are picking up Clark Schmidt and Gio Urshela from the Yankees. So we have Schmidt, the right-handed pitching prospect, at 22.3 million. Urshela, the third baseman, at 14.3, and then Seth Romero, left-handed pitching prospect from the Nationals for 3.2 million. So a lot of moving parts here. I think Bryant to the Nationals has been heavily rumored. It's a natural fit. I'm not sure what their finances look like if they can take on that full $19.5 million salary. Yeah. Kind of remains to be seen with all these moves mm-hmm. that they've been making. Um, I think Hendricks to the Yankees is a very good fit for their luxury tax concerns, for their rotation concerns, all of that. Mm-hmm. It's just a question of the specifics on the return to the Cubs for me. Okay. Yeah, I think, you know, Schmidt and Romero, I mean, if the Cubs are going to rebuild, those two make perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Urshela is probably in there as a replacement for Bryant <clears throat> at third, and he's got three years of control, so you can kind of see it. Not the best fit. I would rather just go prospects if I'm the Cubs. But, I mean, from an from a Yankees point of view, well, no, the Yankees are not getting Bryant. Nationals are getting Bryant. So, it, yeah. It, yeah, that's the one that sort of scratches my head. I think you maybe replace Urshela with, you know, a prospect or two for similar value, and I think that makes more sense. Yeah, if the Cubs are trading Hendricks and Bryant, I don't think they really care about having a stopgap at third base for the yeah. next three years. Right. And losing Urshela, the Yankees don't have a clear-cut internal solution for how to replace that third baseman. I guess in theory you say they can go sign Simmons or somebody like that or even trade for a story or something, and then they keep Glaber at second, bump LeMayhew to third, or even flip the two of them depending on how you want. Um, whatever the case may be, yeah. they're not just going to stick Andy Har back at third. We discussed that earlier. Yeah. Um, so it, there's just, there's no simple way for them to replace Urshela, and I think I think they'd much rather maybe go, and I think the Cubs would also rather, as we've seen with things like the Darvish trade. Um, I think they'd much rather keep Urshela, and if they're going to pull off a trade like this, dig a little deeper into that minor league system, grab a couple younger guys, and send them to Chicago instead. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, I mean, we talked about the Nationals and their window is closing and they get maybe one shot more with Scherzer. So, Bryant has one more year of control. So, from that point of view, I think it makes sense. To your point, I don't know how much money they they have. But the, the, the big thing holding him back his value is, you know, he agreed to an arbitration salary of 19.5. And that's, you know, that's pretty close to fair value for him after kind of his decline years. Um, Hendricks makes a lot of sense in the Yankees. I know a lot of Yankee fans are thinking about him as a trade target. Um, for the reasons you mentioned. Um, yeah, I think the Cubs, I maybe see him getting Schmidt, although there's some questions about whether he's really more of a, I'm not sure if he's a frontline starter, maybe a middle rotation guy ultimately, um, but they could probably, they seem to want to skew younger and with higher upside in the return, so maybe tweak it that way. So this one is interesting because it got 22 upvotes and 33 downvotes, and it's still cooking, so it's um, it's very polarizing. You know? Yes. <laughs> a lot of people like it, a lot of people don't. I'm sure the Yankees fans like it, maybe the Nationals, probably the Cubs fans are the downvoting ones. I'd argue that, at least from interactions on Twitter, I don't think Yankees fans like it at all. Oh, yeah? I, th- I think Nationals fans are on board here because, you know, 
it's not their money, <laughs> right? Yeah, have I mean, to give up Romero for Bryant, sure. <laughs> middling prospect and get a guy with the name value of Chris Bryant, sure. Yeah. And then the Cubs, they probably don't want to lose Bryant and Hendricks, but if they are, they're, they're getting some talent back here. Yeah. Um, I think Yankees are as concerned about the luxury tax as I've ever heard a team's fan base be. <laughs> yeah. And then factor in just how much they love Gio Urshela, and I, I get why. I mean... They've they've been watching him just dazzle at third base for two years now and and have a solid bat while while there and I mean the defensive metrics don't love Urshela but the eye test certainly does yeah and so he's he's a fan favorite there for sure um, so I at least from from reactions on Twitter and from what I know of Yankees fans I think they probably have the biggest issue here plus plus they're the fan base in this deal most likely to go huh that Hendricks guy only throws 86 he's garbage he won't make it at Yankee <laughs> Stadium. I don't know. I've seen some Yankees fans who really want that guy because he's so effective. I know he's a soft tosser, but gosh, he knows how to All pitch. Right. I'm West Coast. You're East Coast. Maybe I'm a little jaded here. Fair. <laughs> okay, I do. I do want to very quickly touch on this other trade we have featured right now. Um, it's between the Red Sox and Tigers, and it's it's a straight one for one. Benintendi, who we've discussed a lot, and I kind of expected to be traded by now. Mm-hmm. Um, we have him at 5.3 million headed to the Tigers, and Matt Boyd headed to the Red Sox at 6'4". Um, I think Boyd is the perfect Red Sox target right now. I don't think Benintendi fits the Tigers, but mm-hmm. maybe maybe they see it kind of as we were discussing with the Pirates when they had interest as kind of a flip-and-flip type thing where they buy a little lower on Benintendi. He maybe right. rebounds a little bit, and they ship him elsewhere for more. Yep. Um, this is kind of a stereotypical prototypical excuse me <laughs> prototypical challenge trade yeah and the uh, tigers actually have money too they're really mm-hmm. they've got you know not much on the books so even though they may not be competitive they may be interested in picking up a guy that's making a little bit of money he's guaranteed 6.6 million and he's it's an unusual thing where he has an rb year after this and you typically don't uh, go down from where you were so you figure another seven maybe eight next year mm-hmm. so you're looking at two years at roughly 13 14 million for an attendee on top of that you you know be be paying a price in terms of player capital so you know his in other words his fair value is probably you know like 219 here in if you were a free agent which may be even a little high um so that's why we have him there um i don't think it's the perfect de- destination for ben Intendi either um, unless they can fix him and flip him. Uh, that's the only way it makes sense. I do think it makes more sense for the Red But the Red Sox are also rebuilding, too. And I think if they're trading Ben Attendee, they should get prospects back. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. I mean, at this point, Boyd is an innings year. And so it's not their highest. They can just sign one of those guys. They've got some you know, some capital to, pl- to play with. But inter- interestingly, this one got 44 likes so far and only 16 uh, downvotes. Jays of our lives is the guy who proposed this. A lot of people seem to think it makes sense. So who am I? Yeah, I'm personally a fan. <laughs> okay. Um, at least on the surface here, maybe I'd say it, tweak it a little bit. Three-team deal. Um, you know, the A's and the Astros. If I don't, I think the Astros' interest would probably be diminished now um, after yeah. signing Brantley. But I mean, teams like that, maybe they get involved here, and rather than giving up any starting pitching themselves because they're both a little thin on it. Um, they send some sort of lower-level prospect package to the Tigers um, and take Benintendi themselves while the Tigers send Boyd. I could see a framework here. Um, mm-hmm. And I think something like this is is the type of return that wouldn't upset the Red Sox fan base too much. 
Right. Uh, because I think otherwise they're going to be pretty disappointed in the return for Benintendi, but we've we've discussed that before. Right. Okay, we're at an hour 23. Do you want to hit your Lindor article? <laughs> Just a couple of main points. So what right. we saw, what we saw, um, well, I mean, um, you know, what what the key point is, big contracts are very hard to move. And the point of the article was that Lindor's trade, you know, on top of the Darvish trade, um it was sort of another price point on um it confirms how hard it is to move big salaries look everybody is struggling with finances almost everybody we talked about the mets and the blue jays having some money but beyond that most teams are either cutting costs or holding the line on payroll and so the effect of that is if you've got a guy you want to trade who's making money it's hard to move so you know then we sort of break it down into kind of easiest to hardest you know easiest to move are guys on on cheap contracts like musgrove and Luis Castillo. Um, there's a lot of interest in those because they don't hit the bottom line very much. You know, they're both making about four million. And then you sort of guy the next tier is sort of the, you know, ten to twenty million. This is, you know, we saw Blake Snell and Carlos Carrasco get moved. They're in that category. Maybe Sonny Gray could get moved. He's in that category as well. So, but they're not going to have as quite as much surplus uh, because they're making some money. And then you got the difficult ones like Chris Bryant, who we mentioned, who's right on the cusp. He's making over, you know, around 20 million a year. Lindor's actually making 22. Um, so, you know, that's why the the uh, return for Lindor. Some people thought it was light. We thought it was fair, but it's going to be a light return because the money is the big factor there. If they're making more than that, um, it's going to be even tougher. If you're, you're talking Nolan Arenado, and then you've got guys who are like in negative value territory, um, you know. Mustakas and Castellanos were talked about from the Reds. Um, they made a big play for them last year. It didn't work out, and now they're cutting costs because their budgets were pretty pretty affected by the lack of a gate. So they're trying to get rid of those, and that's why I think um, they wanted to see what they could get for Castillo, if they could sort of offset you know the trade value with Mustakas or Castellanos in order to cut budget. So long story short, it's really hard to move a, a big contract. The interestingly. Um, I think we're going to see maybe a couple of package deals like a Castellano with Moustakis, if uh, sorry, Castillo with Moustakis, if they wanted to do that. Another team who's, you know, we just talked about Grishik. If the Blue Jays want to move Grishik, yeah, they're probably going to have to couple him with a younger player to, to offset that with some positive value. And as we talked about um, earlier, it makes the, the other sort of effect is younger players are even more valuable because everybody wants cheap production, right? Even going back to late last year when AJ Preller traded for uh, Austin Nola, you know, because you know he he's making league minimum and he was effective, and so he had to give up a lot to get him. So it makes it seem like um, players who are making league minimum or on low salaries, it seems like the, the the pendulum has swung a little bit more towards their favor in terms of trade value. So we're factoring that in. So all of which is to say we're watching the market trends. And we're sort of, you know, making minor tweaks of adjustments here and there as a result of that. Um, so, you know, we've seen, a, we've adjusted a little bit more um, here and there based on, on market trends. You know, every now and then you're going to see some changes in that. That's why, because we're seeing trends in the market. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's much I can add there. I think that's a great, great summary of a great article. I think it's recommended reading for anyone that's wondering how the market's going. Um, kind of what boxes a lot of these players fit into and what what trends we're seeing i think if there's anything i would add it's it's that it's always controversial when you suggest here's this talented player but we need to use him to get this contract off our books mm -hmm. 
and a lot of the time you hear fans complaining there of why would you add in a Castellanos or a Grichik to this deal if it's just diminishing your return? Don't you want talent back? Well, yes, but as we've discussed multiple times before, there's two types of capital. There's prospect capital and there's money, or yep. player value capital and there's money. And so every team has kind of a sliding scale of whether those types of value are one-to-one. Um, right now, right now with the state of Cincinnati's budget, maybe it is more of a priority to clear some of that money than it is to maximize their prospect return. Yeah. And especially with that trade specifically, with Castillo specifically, with how high his trade value is, it's going to be hard, not impossible, but hard for any team to realistically, and especially as we've mentioned in this current day and age when teams aren't just trading their top prospects left and right, um, it's going to be hard for any team to match that value without taking one of those underwater contracts to kind of offset it. Exactly. So um, it seems almost certain to me, at least, and again, I'm not an insider. I don't have any sources here, but it seems almost certain to me that at least one of Castellanos Mustakis would have to be packaged with Castillo if we see him traded. I don't think only, we see him traded, but yeah, that's the only way it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, because why would they otherwise? They've got three years of cheap control. He's a frontline starter, fantastic starter. I mean, why would you trade the guy unless you're trying to cut budget? And he's the means means to an end to do that because you can get rid of Mustakas or Castellanos along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to your earlier point, I think sometimes on paper, our values seem like that's so high. It's true. That means they're probably untradeable because nobody wants to give up that much. And so mm-hmm. it's a paper value. And I think what the Reds were doing was sort of floating in the market and saying, yeah, it's a really high price. Can you meet it? And most teams said, no. Even the Yankees said, nope, we're not trading Gleyber. So, and they pulled back, said, okay, well, that was the price. And we don't want to sell low on him. And so sometimes that happens. And uh, I've seen comments on our site, like, well, it happened with the Rays in, uh, a few years ago. And Archer wasn't moved when you thought he was because his value was so high at the time. You know, nobody wanted to pay the price. And so they had to wait a year in order to get, you know, time to erode some of that surplus to get it down to a little bit more of a reasonable level where we can say, okay, now we can talk. And I think maybe you're going to see that anybody over like 100 in value on our side, it's going to be really hard, especially if you're looking for younger, to my point earlier, younger, you know, prospects who are really hard to pry away. So um, I think that's why he hasn't moved yet. Right. Just just looking down the list of the top valued players in baseball by our model, you've got Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto, Shane Bieber. The three of them are just, and let's let's lump Fernando Tatis Jr. into that group too. The, yeah. the four of them, untradeable. Untradeable. They're not, sky- yeah. Yes, not only because of their fits with their current teams, but like like Bieber isn't a perfect fit with Cleveland right now. They're they're gonna tell you that they want to contend, but everything that they're doing is saying, all right, it's time for a bit of a retool, rebuild, whatever. But Bieber's at two hundred and seventeen million yeah, dollars. That's in that's an entire farm. <laughs> yes. There's there's two or three teams that can pony up for that. And at that point, why? Like, like if you're the, if you're the Rays, yeah, the Rays could do it, but why? Yeah. What benefit necessarily is there, especially since you are an organization like the Rays that prioritizes accumulating this affordable minor league talent? It doesn't make sense. So those guys aren't going anywhere. Then you get into kind of this next tier of Walker Bueller, uh, that I, I would argue is essentially the same tier. Walker Bueller's not going anywhere. Ozzy yeah. Albies isn't going anywhere. Wander Franco he, is our top prospect. Yeah. 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 Wander Franco, top prospect, not going anywhere. 
Brandon Woodruff is probably the first one that you come across and it's like, really? He's that high? But when you look into the numbers, yes, he's a fantastic starting pitcher, affordable contract. That's That seems to be the cheat code. Still making league a minimum value. Yeah. in four years of control. And that's usually mm-hmm. the sweet spot of trade value. You've already established mm-hmm. yourself and you're still making league minimum. You haven't even hit yeah. your RV years yet. That is Right before gold. that RV year, correct. Yeah, yeah, that is gold. Bieber's right and, there too. Yeah, <clears throat> and then you, then you see Bregman who he's on he's on a real pro, uh, contract right now but he's also a very good baseball player yeah and, it's <laughs> and, a cheap then, and then we get it's to, way undervalued yeah 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 and then we get to castillo so yeah. i ju- i just named off some of the best young superstars affordable superstars some of the most team-friendly contract and contracts in baseball when it comes to albies um and acuna and then woodruff being pre-arb bieber being pre-arb and then you get to Castillo, and he's up there with all of those guys. And he's ahead of guys like Luis Robert, Cody Bellinger, Bo Bichette. He's ahead of Mike Trout, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> we've we've yeah. discussed that in the past. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that just shows you the caliber. Uh, when, when you think of, like, oh, man, like, I want my team to trade for Luis Castillo. Why is it so difficult? Why is his – why – why is this so difficult to get to? It should just be this guy and this guy. Well, we have him in the same territory, in the same general territory as Walker Bueller. Do you think it would be easy for your team to trade for Walker Bueller? No. Yeah. <laughs> right. So the Reds are no dummies, and they know how high his price tag should be, and they were right to set a high price and not mm-hmm. budge from it, you know? And um, I, I personally, I felt a little bit validated when I heard it has to be Torres plus. We don't know what the plus mm-hmm. is, like I said. And they're probably attaching Mustakas or Castellanos. And so you could probably make it work, you know, with Torres and Schmidt and one other prospect. And there you go. Um, and that's a little bit more doable because it, it, it lowers the value, you know, under 100, probably 90-ish. And it's a little bit more reasonable for uh, a team like the Yankees to pay if they were if they wanted to. Uh, but, yeah, this is um, it's a good example of, you know, um, some players are just so high that they're unmovable and most of their teams don't want to move them anyway, but it can get a little ridiculous. Yeah. I, I don't think Castillo's going anywhere. I think especially, I, even if the Reds GM's comments hadn't kind of reaffirmed that this last week, um, I still think it's just so unlikely after all the moves that the Yankees made. I think there's a different universe where the Yankees, you know, they missed out on LeMayhew. And so instead they go, Oh, let's, let's pull the trigger on this Castillo trade. And we can take Moustakis back, and yes, he's underwater, but let's stick him at second base. He's a fine player. He'll handle the position well enough, at least. I think there's a universe where that happens, and then they're under the luxury tax that way. Um, But given the luxury tax implications, now that they have signed LeMayhew and Kluber, don't think a Castillo trade is possible, given what they would have to take back in either Castellanos or Moustakis. Yeah, So, and there probably aren't any other big big spender taker or you know in terms of capital you know out there that's probably why he's off the market again or you know mm-hmm. we'll see you never say never but um you know it's uh you know it's looking unlikely yeah looks a bit more like try again at the deadline or next year yeah all right uh two other tiny bits of late breaking rumors just that the dodgers might have interest in bauer which uh, <laughs> that's a whole rabbit hole there Dodgers have money. They're going to spend it on someone. It's probably going to be Justin Turner. It might be Marcus Simeon. There's a chance it's Trevor Bauer. Who knows? We'll see how that goes. <laughs> and then the Angels and Blue Jays are two more teams getting connected to reliever Brad Hand. So it looks like there's a pretty lively market for a guy who went unclaimed on waivers. Well, you know, as I said on the last podcast, I think 
you know, we're getting a little bit more clarity now and on the pandemic and the new president and the, the you know, hopefully we'll, things will open up a little bit in a couple months. And so at the time that that hand um, was floated, there was too much uncertainty you know, everybody was in like hunker down mode mm-hmm. and now things are opening up a little bit. So, you know, um, times have changed a little bit with more information or at least a little bit more of an assumption of kind of what you can project for revenue for this year. It's a little bit more than nothing, which is what you had a couple months ago. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's opening up. Exactly. So, John, are you surprised to hear we went long? Oh, <laughs> dang it. <laughs> We now, tried. <laughs> imagine if this had been two weeks worth of news. Ah. Who knows what's going to happen in the next seven days? We would have been recording for three hours. <laughs> uh, I guess we like to talk baseball, Josh. We do, we do. Um, <laughs> on that note, though, that will do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtraybvalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. We'll be back next week to break down more off-season news and updates. Hopefully we'll have a lot to talk about. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the off-season. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.